Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to episode number 16 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, and joined, as always, by my co-host, Joe DeMeo, and we have an exciting show for you guys today. Obviously, uh, some news in Mets land with Robinson Cano being suspended for the year uh, with a PED violation, another PED violation. The Mets GM search is uh, is continuing on. No president of baseball operations necessarily, but definitely a GM search uh, going on. And as always, we're going to answer your questions. So let me bring in Joe uh, for what is a very important show today before things really take off full scale running uh, on these signings coming in as Charlie Morton also has signed with the division rival Braves. So those will be starting as well. Joe, what's going on, man? Uh, not much, Connor. Just hanging in there watching, getting ready for the Mets offseason to get started. I mean, Charlie Morton signs and it's like, oh, darn, we kind of wanted him. And then Buster only is like, the Braves are aggressive, but don't worry. The Mets are going to be too. They're going to they're trying to get two of uh, Francisco Lindor, Trevor Bauer, JT Realmuto, and George Springer. And I'm like, all right, I'm back. We're good. Yeah, you know when you texted me this at first, I was really disappointed. Honestly, I was like, oh, Morton was a guy that I thought would be perfect to be penciled in as a number three starter for the Mets. You know, say you know it was great that Stroman's back. That was really really important. And now you're seeing why. But DeGrom, Stroman, you know, Morton, the return of Syndergaard, and obviously Peterson. But when you look at it, I, it's funny how quickly we could, like, sell ourselves the other way. We're like, well, he's getting old. There are signs that will decline. And he didn't want to come to the Mets. He only wanted to stay in Tampa or go to the Braves. So obviously, there was definitely a regional thing in play here. Listen, uh, Morton makes the Braves much better in their rotation this year. You know, we'll see when that decline and if that decline ever happens. It's disappointing, but it's a long offseason. There are a lot of options out there for the Mets, and it's nothing like a Real Muto or a Springer signing somewhere else with a division rival or Lindor being traded to the Yankees or it's nothing like that. So it took me about two and a half seconds to get over it, and now we are onward. And I have to bring this up right away to lead the show. The Mets might be a little busier than we originally thought, because Robinson Cano, Robinson Cano's money for this year is off the books. I believe it was north of $20 million, and that is a lot of money, number one. That And a lot of people are sitting here probably going, well, the money doesn't matter to the Mets because Steve Cohen, well, kind of does because as Joe's hinted on the show a lot, they are going to probably stay south of hitting the luxury tax this year. There will be years at some point where maybe they flirt with going over it. I don't think it'll be this year right away and and Joe has really stuck firm by that for a while now. It's a lot of money added to the pool for the Mets and Steve Cohen came out and said it on Twitter. That money is going to buy players. That's what it's going to be there for. So 
Joe, what were your initial thoughts, number one? Because I know you did have some directly on Cano, who has been overlooked in all of this in Mets land. For a guy that hit the crap out of the ball last year, everyone's like, all right, great. His money's off the books. We're signing someone else. Just give me your big picture thoughts here on everything. So big picture, obviously it's a huge help for the payroll for this year. Getting an additional $24 million is awesome. I mean, it it changes what the Mets can do. There was questions, can they go get two stars and also fill the rest of their holes and fit that under the luxury tax or within range of the luxury tax? And at the time, the uh, you, I wasn't sure if they could really pull that off. But if you add another $24 million, you certainly can. So from that perspective, it's one of those things that maybe it works out for the Mets, even though they're losing a player, like you said, that hit like Cano did. Jeff McNeil could play second base, so that that's his best position. But, man, what an idiot. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. What an idiot. Just getting caught with, honestly, one of the most detectable PEDs that there is. I don't know exactly how to say it. It's the Nazalal or something like that, whatever it is. But it's one of the easiest ones to detect. So what a dummy to lose $24 million for this. And it makes... Brody Van Wagenen look even worse for the trade that happened. Yeah, it does, right? I mean, number one, so, um, I mean, number one, yes. It's it's all around bad of, it's he's an idiot, it's he cheated the game. I mean, he took a steroid that is a performance-enhancing steroid. It's quite as simple as that. Now, what I'll say is it has to make you wonder, you know, Robinson Cano clearly felt he needed this steroid at age I mean, he was 37 years old this year playing for the Mets. Now he's 38. That That is a very, very uh, old number. You know, that's a big age to be playing at and to be expected to be a star player. And he performed like a star player. He hit 316. He had some big hits. He's a guy that's been vocal. He hit 10 home runs in the shortened season. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of power in 49 games. It's a lot of power in four. I mean, you're talking about a guy that would probably would have hit over 30 home runs this year in a full season. But there's a reason for that. He probably felt that he needed. I mean, you guys aren't idiots listening to the show. Steroids significantly in, uh, impact your performance. So, yes, it's it's bad look for Cano. It is such a bad look for Brody Van Wagenen that he traded for a guy that is due an unbelievable amount of money, even besides the suspension, due an unbelievable amount of money. He traded Jared Kelenic to acquire this guy, or a part of taking on this salary in the deal. And the fact is, quite frankly, Joe, I feel pretty comfortable, comfortable sitting here and telling you, Robinson Cano is no longer going to be an effective MLB player. And it, it is steadily declined in the field for a while now. But I don't think he's ever going to come back and be this 300 hitter that hits 25 home runs. Like, that, it's not happening. So, it's all around really bad on that side of things. But as you sit here and listen to the show, and we talk about the Mets for the 2021 baseball season, it's really good. It's really good because that is a lot of money to go get a player, to go get another star player, to go get two starting pitchers, to... Things like that. It's where I'm very curious how this plays out is the money in years 2022 and 2023, which I'm going to lean on Joe for. And we're going to get to that with a question later 
so sit tight with us. But McNeil should be playing second anyway. It, it, there's so many good effects this has on the Mets and their chances next year that, to me, it was not a doom and gloom story if you are a Mets fan. It's kind of the weirdest addition by subtraction ever. Like, who would ever think, like, wow, if we're out this guy that's getting paid $24 million that just hit really well for us, we might be better off. And it's they really might be because Jeff McNeil, like we said, his best position is second base. I give him credit. He's able to play third. He could play left. He could play right. He could play most positions. Which He's an athlete. Yeah, he's yeah, a good, great that. athlete. But there's no question that his top position is second base. So he's going to be able to hopefully, for the most part, focus on second base. I hope in 2021, there's a little less of, you know, obviously injuries or whatever, you, you make adjustments where you have to. But I hope there's a little less of putting McNeil all over the place because if he could focus on one defensive position, I think you can get, like, that 330 batting average Jeff McNeil back because there's got to be something in your head if you're playing potentially a different defensive position every night you know, just putting that and then also being in the box. So I think it's going to be a huge win for Jeff McNeil. So I think that's a, that's a great positive. And, you know, Robinson Cano, it's just, it's disappointing because he was a guy that a lot of uh, younger players looked up to and especially Latino players. I know Ahmed Rosario, like Robinson Cano was one of his idols. And it's really, it's gotta be really disappointing for those guys to, you know, maybe you made the excuse for him the first time, but the second time, guy's a cheater, cost himself the Hall of Fame. You know, all around, all around bad for Robinson Cano, but I think the Mets will survive it. Exactly. Now, before we're going to get into today, we're going to talk about GM candidates, and Joe has outlined six guys that make a lot of sense for the Mets. So we're that's going to be the bulk of today's show, besides your questions. But I think people sitting here have to be wondering. Joe, are they going to now look and say, hey, we are going to add to this infield? Now, of course, there's Lindor out there, right? The the Sitting here today, you're going, okay, McNeil plays second. You know, maybe they make a big trade for a Lindor. Now, what I sit here and wonder is, does this open the door for the Mets to aggressively pursue a guy that is very good defensively? and is one of the best hitters in baseball the last two years, in DJ LeMahieu. It could, absolutely. Uh, I think what's fun right now is everything's on the table. I don't think there's anything that you can ask, can the Mets do this, will the Mets do this? I, I don't think there's anything that you can ask that I would actually say no, <laughs> they can't, uh, which is exciting. Um, I have a feeling and a sneaking suspicion that DJ LeMahieu isn't particularly interested in playing anywhere but the Bronx, but I'd place the phone call. Uh, this guy was an MVP caliber player, proved it in New York for the last two years, and yeah, I, I'd place the call, but personally, I'd, I'd rather see pursuing a trade for a Lindor or maybe even a Nolan Arenado, because there's rumors of DJ LeMahieu at 32 years old looking for a five-year deal, so... I'm a, Hard pass. Yeah, I'm 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 a, I'm a little <laughs> reluctant, but uh, he he's a hell of a hitter. So if the Mets decide to pursue him and throw a little dig at the Yankees, you know that wouldn't that wouldn't upset me by any means. But Lemayhew would certainly. 
be not near the top of my priority list. Yeah, it feels like a little bit of a luxury signing for a team that has a lot of needs. And I love LeMahieu, and LeMahieu can play third. LeMahieu can play second, like the, and LeMahieu can play those positions very well. And his bat is always going to be, you know, something that would enhance a lineup. But when you look at the Mets, they need a center fielder. They need a catcher. They need two more starting pitchers. And that is not going to come cheap. And if you're going to make a luxury ad, I I would make that luxury ad Lindor that is way younger and is basically the face of your franchise then for the next eight years. It's not an anti If they sign LeMahieu, I would love it. But the age thing, the fact that I agree, I don't think he's dying to leave the Yankees. I think the Yankees are going to tread lightly with that one. I think they would like to not, you know, blow the whole bank load on him with the fact that they are trying to get their money down a little bit. But And I don't see them giving him a five-year deal. I don't really see any team giving him a five-year deal. But it'll be um it'll be very interesting. So it's something that I had to throw and, away. And we're gonna get into more. Oh, go ahead. And Joe. what's really fun is we're at the point now that we can be picky. Like I know it sounds like we're picking all these players apart. I know we talked about Bauer last week. We've talked about Real Muto. Like we're at the point now. Like it's exciting that the Mets are in on all these guys, but now they can actually get them. The prior with the prior ownership. I would have taken any star player and ignored any possible oh, flaw with them. I would not have cared. But now we're at a point where we can say, all right, let's think here. Well, let's think the pros, the cons, uh, what the issues are with the player. Because you could poke holes in every non-Mike Trout player in baseball. So, well, I think yeah. this show has, has carved out a, a pretty consistent message that you and I see eye to eye. And I totally understand there are people listening that will not agree. And that's fine. That's what makes us fun. But this show has carved out a lane that if Joe and I were were Sandy Alderson and Steve Cohen, we would sign George Springer and we would trade for Francisco Lindor and we would go sign, you know, an Odorizzi or a Hap or a Tanaka or, you know, something in that lane. And Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, if you disagree with anything here, but I I think that's like the 1A plan of the Beth So Mets podcast. Now, if they go get a real Muto, I'll be the happiest, I'll be as happy as ever. You know, if they go get Bauer, I'll be terrified. But uh, if it's like a five-year deal, but I'll still be rooting for Trevor Bauer to be that one B to Jacob Degrom. Like, but yeah, that's that's kind of where we stand. So let's get into these the guys that might be making these decisions. Joe, Joe, you know, put together as he always does in in scouting, in farm system, and anything in the baseball world. Joe puts together a very good list, and this one uh, is very interesting because. It's the Wild West out there, whatever the Mets are doing in their search to have somebody to actually run this baseball team. And it has obviously gone a little differently than they originally expected. But as they look for a GM, uh, the first two that I, I want to throw Joe's way to analyze here are from the Diamondbacks, actually. Maybe a place that a lot of people don't expect to hear from, but they have two assistant GMs in uh, uh, Emil Saudé and Jared Porter. Joe, number one... These are, I believe, these are younger guys. Number one, what has you interested in them for the Mets? And number two, what have the Diamondbacks done really well lately that people just aren't seeing? Yeah, both these guys. I think they're both low forties now at this point. Um, so that to me is yeah, young. For yeah, they're still young, so they're they're far from older guys. Uh, so Amil Sade, really, uh, they're both from Boston. 
So they both came from the Red Sox with now GM Mike Hazen. And Sade was, he ran the scouting department for the Red Sox. So he was in charge of drafting Mookie Betts. He was in charge of drafting Jackie Bradley Jr., Matt Barnes, and some other stars that the Red Sox have. And Jared Porter was more on the administrative baseball operations side and some pro scouting things. So he, Jared Porter did a little bit of everything. Sade was kind of focused in scouting. Um, and then once he came over to the Diamondbacks, uh, he they both became assistant GMs and vice presidents there. And they're kind of uh, three-way with those two and Mike Hazen. And they seemingly work really well together. Uh, Sade and Porter have interviewed for GM spots for the last couple years. Uh, they both interviewed for the Angels. Uh, Sade interviewed for the Giants last year. And I'm not sure if either of them are being linked to the Phillies or not. And frankly, I'm not even sure if they're being linked to the Mets. But they're, they're guys that I think are very interesting because they come from a place like Boston. So a, a thing I always like to do is where'd you come from and what did you do there? Uh, I personally don't want someone that their main focus was being with the Pittsburgh Pirates, no offense. Like, that's not an organization that I look at as doing anything at a premium level. So that's that's really not where... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to be nice, Connor. Um, so (laughs) So people from those organizations, so it's, you know, where'd you come from? And what Arizona's done is really beefed up their analytics of late and... They've really started to hone in on the draft and building from within, and their farm system is steadily climbing up the ranks. Uh, their major league team isn't quite there yet, and they had to trade away some money, and that's another factor with some of these guys. They're at a, te- a place where they can't spend money. Like The Diamondbacks had to figure out the best deal for Paul Goldschmidt, their superstar player. They couldn't keep him. Couldn't afford them. That was just what it is. So they had to find the best deal, and they sent them to St. Louis. Uh, but personally for me, of these names I'm going to list, I guess we're starting with the best. To me, I would pick Emil Sade. He's been my guy all along. And one thing that stuck out to me from what Sandy Alderson said yesterday in his press conference was he's looking for a guy that he can mentor. So... One of these guys on the list that we'll mention probably doesn't need mentoring. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's been there and done that. But I hear that, and my brain automatically goes to, well, it's probably someone younger or someone that just needs work on the executive side. And, yeah, so my, my brain automatically goes that way. And Sade, to me, would excite me. Personally, that's me. Um, I'm a huge fan. I think the best general managers tend to come from scouting backgrounds, especially ones who ran scouting departments. Uh, I think that that's certainly a very valuable asset to be able to just have the player evaluation skills to do that. So, yeah, those, those guys are both very good candidates, and I hope the Mets are willing to talk to both of them. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's good to see them, you know, well, we'll see how wide the the net they cast, but it seemed that's the route they've gone. So those are two that might surprise some people, although they were in the news recently with the Angels process, and I know you've been excited about Saw Day for a while now. Now, the next guy I want to ask you about has has gotten some really good publicity over time, and that's A's assistant general manager Billy Owens, who 
has been given a lot of praise for his scouting ability um, with the A's franchise, which is if you just look at the young players they've had and developed, it's it's you know very very impressive. So, what are your thoughts on a guy like Owens? I like Billy Owens, and he certainly has a tie to Sandy Alderson. And one thing that Sandy did say is most of the people he spoke to were people that he knows already. Um, So I tried to at least do half of this list of people that I know that Sandy knows. Uh, I don't know Sandy's relationship with Sade or Jared Porter, but Sandy Alderson's been around the game for 40 years. So I'm thinking Sandy Alderson knows basically everybody. But Billy Owens, like you said, scouting background, he's been with Oakland for 19 years, and he's been steadily climbing up the chain there, and he's a big factor in a lot of the under-the-radar moves that Oakland makes. So these smaller moves that seemingly work out, Billy Owens does have a big hand in those decisions. And he did a podcast interview with Mark Feinstand from MLB.com, which I recommend you go find. Like, this guy... It remembers everything. I don't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. And this guy could tell you about a prospect in the 2007 draft that they considered. Like, insane, his memory. Uh, So he's got that going for him. And he's just a smart guy. Everyone likes Billy Owens. Uh, When I ask around, I can't find a person that has a bad word to say about him. Uh, One thing, I guess, to be a little critical, uh, Ken Rosenthal on MLB Network when talking about Billy Owens said, this is a guy that's an excellent talent evaluator, but he would need some work on the executive side of things because being a GM is way more than just evaluating talent. So he would need some work. So while Billy Owens isn't 38 years old, 39 years old, he's not old. I, I believe he's late 40s. Uh, so he's you know plenty young enough, but maybe that's a potential mentoring situation with Sandy where... His mentoring is, all right, I'm going to teach you how to be an executive. You already have the player evaluation skills. You already have the scouting. You just need to learn how to actually be an executive. So maybe that's that could be a realm when you're talking about mentoring too, that you could take that multiple ways. But Billy Owens, I think, is a guy definitely to keep an eye on, uh, partially because of his past history with Sandy. And, you know, I think I think he's one of those guys that, if he's not a GM here, and I think the same goes for Saudi and Porter as well, that if they're not the Mets GM, you know, it's not going to be too long before they're a GM somewhere. Yeah, they'll get a shot. Yeah. And a guy like Owens, like you said, it's it's pretty clear he knows talent. It's, you know, maybe managing a lot of people or, you know, maybe the pro side of things with trades. You never know. Everybody has their holes, but I think it's safe to say Owens is somebody that – lives baseball and just understands scouting and if you do listen to that interview you can really you can really hear it all right i'm going to group the next two together because they have both uh they are both working for recent world series champions and are both i don't want to say low on the ranks because they're not at all but they're they're not you know necessarily gms or or things like that they're up and comers so the cubs vp of scouting dan uh kantrovitz and dodgers assistant gm jeff kingston all right, so starting with Kantrovitz, he has ties to Sandy. Uh, he came from Oakland, and there's actually a picture that someone tweeted me the other day of, I think it was in the draft room, Billy Bean, Sandy Allerson, Dan Kantrovitz sitting all right next to each other. Uh, so he's a younger guy. He's come up through the scouting world, and 
you know, like I said, has a past relationship with Sandy. And I don't know if VP of scouting is a stretch to go up to GM, uh, but he's a very young, very smart, very highly regarded talent evaluator. And it depends what Sandy's thinking here. Like if Sandy hires someone like him, maybe it's a situation where Sandy's maybe even a little more hands-on than he expects to be. But Kantrovitz is someone that a lot of people are excited about. And it's my understanding that he actually turned down the opportunity to interview for the Angels GM job. So perhaps he's not even looking to move. And the Cubs are going to be hiring a general manager soon enough. You know, with Theo Epstein stepping down, Jed Hoyer was promoted to uh, president of baseball operations. And it's possible that it's a battle between Kantrovitz and... Jason McLeod to be the new GM of the Cubs. So perhaps he's not even looking to leave. Uh, maybe he just didn't want the Angels job. Uh, there could be varying reasons, you know, why people wouldn't interview. But he's a guy that I would keep an eye on, just partially young guy, someone that I think has a lot of upside. People in baseball are big fans of him. And Sandy Allerson obviously has a close relationship with him. See, that one excites me. A young guy that, you know, actually apparently left – uh, an assistant GM role to go take that VP of scouting role. So that's kind of an interesting thing to me when you talk about, you know, is he too low? You know, clearly not. I think he's served in enough roles. But like you said, a younger guy, a really, really bright guy. Um, that's a name that definitely excites me because I think that him being selective as well on where he interviews shows that he, guys like that know <laughs> That it's just a matter of time. They're just waiting for the right one. Yep. So that is absolutely a guy that I, I would be very, very excited about. Now, the last one on the list. Oh, I, I forgot to talk about Jeff Kingston. Yeah. Oh, you didn't what talk about Jeff Kingston. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff yeah, Kingston. Yeah, yeah. You just get emptied the bag yeah. on Cantor. Yeah. So Dodgers assistant GM Jeff Kingston. He's a fun one. He's the one that I think a lot of people on Twitter are getting excited about because he's the assistant GM reports directly to Andrew Friedman and Jeff Kingston got his start in analytics. <laughs> you know, that's where he and rumored to the Phillies yeah. too. The Phillies have been looking Phillies at have him. looked at him. I believe that he was quietly one of the f- finalists for the angels job. And that came out after the fact. So like during the interview process, he wasn't really talked much about, but I read that he ended up actually being one of the finalists for the angels job, but a guy that, yeah, one of the things that people say is the Mets need to get more analytically driven. There's no analytics here. Well, how about you hedge your baseball operations got a department with a guy that got his start in analytics. So obviously that is a strong point for him. And he's elevated beyond just being, you know, an analytics, you know, analyst or whatever. He's elevated himself to assistant GM in one of the best organizations in baseball, working for arguably the best executive in baseball in Andrew Friedman and this is another guy that a younger guy forward thinking maybe more the direction that a lot of people might want to see the Mets go I mean at this point I I want to see the Mets moving into the you know next generation here and that's not an age thing that's a philosophy thing and the game's going in this direction so you you can complain about it. You can not like it if you want, but <laughs> you're stuck with it though. Y- your ch- your choice is adapt or perish. That's what it comes down to. So I choose to adapt, generally speaking. And Kingston's a guy that I think 
is very interesting. If the Mets were to have interest in him, I, I'd love to have him on the interview list because I think he's an exciting executive that is going to make a good GM one day. If not now, eventually he'll make a good GM one day. Man, I'm a big fan of Joe's. Instead of adapt or die, it's adapt or perish. That is <laughs> quality, quality stuff. So <laughs> the last guy on this list who I'm with Joe, he always says this to me, it's underwhelms me, it's underwhelms I agree, is somebody that has publicly been linked to the job, actually, and that has not been common with this regime, and that's former Marlins president Michael Hill. Now, I'm not saying Michael Hill was bad at his job I, in any way. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying I, I the other guys on this list have, have excited me a little bit more, and it's it's notable that the Mets have talked to him already. So, Joe, what are your thoughts on Michael Hill, and what are your thoughts on on the fact that we know this is somebody that Sandy has actually spoken to? That's kind of why I put him on the list, to be totally honest, that I know they've spoken to him. So if they spoke to him back when they were looking for president of baseball operations, I don't know why they wouldn't speak to him about GM, too, I guess, at, at this point. So it, to me, that's kind of just a logic thing. But, you know, Michael Hill's... A, a good executive. Um, he did come through scouting as well. And, you know, the Marlins did have some premium players. and A, a lot of them. Yeah, <laughs> they just and, moved them. and they deserve credit for having those premium players. And, you know, he played a role there in doing that. So he was at the top of their baseball operations chain. So he's not an inexperienced guy. He doesn't need to learn. He doesn't need to be mentored. Like, he just needs to have a job, get the keys, and go back to work. So he showed the ability to acquire talent. The problem is when it came time to trade said talent, they've gotten nothing for almost any of those guys. There's a chance that uh, Sixto Sanchez ends up an absolute stud for them that they got for JT Real Muto, but they got nothing for Stanton. They got nothing for Yelich. They got nothing for Marcelo Zuna. Uh, they traded Chris Paddock when he was a prospect for nothing. They traded Luis Castillo, the ace of the Cincinnati Reds, when he was a prospect for nothing. So, I that's bad. Yeah, there's that's some really pro, bad. Th there's certainly some pros and cons. Uh, but you know, he's a guy that if you want to hire someone that is ready to go, no learning curve, just give him the keys and you know hope he does a good job. Michael Hill's your guy. Um, and, and and there's one name that I always see. I just want to give a. Um, mention to this there's one name that is constantly brought up and that's because I you see it in the media all the time and that's Bobby Heck from Tampa Bay so as far as we know the Mets have not asked for permission to speak to Bobby Heck per Ken Rosenthal they have not spoken to him yet Sandy Alderson said that they interviewed six people so I gave you six I don't know if these are six they interviewed if they do gold star for me um, but if they didn't talk to him and Sandy's already talking about they need to narrow it down to two to three people to actually meet Steve Cohen, maybe they're not intending to interview anymore. And it wouldn't be the first time that someone floated their own name out there <laughs> to try to help oh them God, try to help themselves grow. So I think Bobby Heck's a name that I think Met fans should cool the jets on. Um, you know, he obviously was the scouting director for the Astros, so he has some player evaluation skills, but he's just a special assistant in Tampa. He's not even an assistant GM. So he's kind of just an advisor in a sense. And 
I don't know about you, but a guy that is an advisor jumping to being the head of baseball operations, let's just call it that. I don't know. And that's another thing that we don't know is what is this Sandy Alderson and person they hire? What is that dynamic? Sandy has said, obviously, he'll be more involved. You know, he wanted to see at the table. Now it might be. He made some joke, I forget, something about being, like, in the corner seat or something like that. Classic him. Yeah, just classic, like, Sandy making a joke. But the question is, what is that dynamic? Is Sandy Alderson actually running baseball operations? And is this GM just a guy to learn under him and take over in a year or two? If if that's the case, I wonder if that hinders you. And it's kind of to the overall point that when it came to pursuing – president of baseball operations i do think they misread the market a little bit uh number one and number two i wonder if sandy alderson's presence presence was a deterrent to these guys you know obviously they didn't get access to chris antonetti or david stearns and there's rumors that mike chernoff's wife did not want to move back up here so that what could have been the family issue that sandy spoke to but I wonder in the back of people's heads that they're like, look, if I'm leaving my nice job I have here, there's going to be someone between me and ownership. Sandy was always going to be in between. And those guys might only want a job if they're, it is them and then the owner. They don't want to have a fluffer in between or someone that they have to answer to. They only want to answer to the owner. So I wonder if Sandy's presence hurt them a little bit in the process. And I'm very interested he didn't really dive in into enough detail for me to feel like I got a good enough answer as to what his level of involvement is. I know he said he doesn't want to be in the weeds and, you know, that's fine and all. But if Amil Saude gets this job and he goes, I want to sign this guy, is Sandy Alderson approving or denying before it even gets to Steve Cohen? You know, I'm unsure how this structure is going to work. And I'm a little concerned, but, you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt for now. But it's definitely something to monitor who they talk to, who they end up hiring, and then really to what level of autonomy do these guys actually have. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot, how we always said think big. And it's it seems like the Mets have come up short in this search and for a lot of various reasons, a lot of them out of their control. And I think the sale taking as long as it did and, and going through the many hurdles it went through impacted this. I think they probably didn't want to rush this and just end up with somebody in a president role. That's why you can hire somebody to be the GM and leave the president role open. Now, you probably got to be vocal with the GM when you hire him that that's something on the table for next year, but those are other conversations. So I trust Sandy to be the guy overseeing the baseball decisions for now. I, I don't think this is an overly complicated off season in the sense of like the Mets are really upping their budget and there are some star players on the market that are positions of need for the Mets. And I, I don't mean to minimize how difficult it is to build a baseball team. That's not what I mean at all. I, I am not going to sit here and tell you that I could just go out and make all the mid and lower tier signings and the Mets will win a World Series. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I think that Sandy is more than capable to handle it for now with a GM. 
and who knows what they do next year. I, I don't think Theo Epstein is going to take the year off and then work for the Mets, but I, I don't think it's something that's just completely ruled out. I don't think, you know, we'll see what happens with teams like Cleveland this year, but maybe Antonetti is somebody that changes his mind. There's a lot of different variables that happen in a year, and the Mets don't want to rush it, and they're going to be able to survive this without making this higher right now. So I, I don't think it's the end of the world. I do think it's disappointing. It, absolutely. And, and it's going to be very interesting to see. Listen, Sandy with a lot less money has, has built a world series Mets roster before now with more money. Can he, can he get them back to the playoffs and, and hand this off to someone in a year where they're going to be the guy that says, hey, we're not trying to make the playoffs anymore. We're trying to win a World Series. That's going to be the question. So speaking of questions, let's take some of your questions. And we have some really good ones this week. The first one from uh, Chris Zavingin. Hopefully I got that right, Chris. Sorry if I didn't. What changes to player development? And Joe could speak a lot to this. What changes to player development are you hoping Sandy makes? So one of the biggest things, and when I heard about this, I was actually kind of floored that the Mets really didn't do a ton of, I'm trying to think the best way to say this, they didn't do a ton of evaluation of the low binders. So anything below A ball, like when the when Brody made a bunch of smaller trades and trading guys that were in rookie ball or guys from Dominican, a lot of the player development just didn't pay any attention to those guys. Like, that's the beginning of the development of a prospect, and it feels like the Mets didn't really pay attention to these guys until they got into A-ball. And that's insane. Like, the, I think they can they cost themselves value on some of these guys in the case of just not, not evaluating everyone on an even scale across the board. And so that's a big problem, and hopefully they're not doing that anymore. And another thing I want to do, I am not a fan of a canvas organizational philosophy. You know, you you have ideals. Like, ideally, we know Sandy is an OPS guy. He wants guys to get on base, and he wants guys to hit for power, and he doesn't really care about your batting average, which is fine by me. I don't either. But you need to treat every player to their own skill set. You can't take a slap-hitting outfielder and tell him he has to become a power-on-base guy. You can't, yeah, you can't, you can't just pigeonhole people into a model. Like you need to, you have to be flexible. So ultimately you're going to draft guys for the most part that fit your system, but there's going to be times when you draft guys because they're the best player available and you just go, well, you know, we'll make it work. And the player development system has to really try to make it work and make sure that they are zoning in on everyone's top skill set and emphasizing that and helping grow the player that they are uh, trying to pigeonhole people just hurts development of the prospects overall and might cost you big leaguers as time go, goes on because if you take someone and make them some try to make them something they're not then when they don't make it it might not even necessarily be their fault because some people just don't have the skill set to do it so those are a couple things that stick out to me is really just you want to have kind of a general philosophy, but everything should be tailored to each individual player, and they need to be able to put the focus uh, on that for each player. Is this is what works for this guy? Work with that, and this you know what works for Connor doesn't work for Joe, and vice versa. So certainly 
being much more individually focused, I think would be big. And, you know, just making sure they do proper evaluations from from every level of the system. You know, there's way less levels now, so I guess it's a little easier. But when I heard that basically they didn't really evaluate guys in rookie ball, I was just like, why? Like that's that's the that's the prime time to evaluate someone is at the beginning of their careers. So those are a couple things. Yeah, that's jarring to me, by the way. I'm just sitting here in awe. Like, yeah. and a lot of people wouldn't know that, obviously. Yeah. That is, that seems pretty uh, obvious to do. It's jarring yeah. that they didn't. So, yeah, that's that's a big one. And I, I think that's something that they will start to do just because we're not, uh, you know, the bargain bin team anymore, as Scott Boris likes to say. It <laughs> seems like a pretty easy one. So, all right, this next one from Michael. What are your opinions on some international free agents? Could Tomiyoki Sugano help our rotation? And could, hopefully I say this one right, Ha-Sung Kim fill the new hole on the infield? And I have seen a lot of buzz about these guys. Do you expect more involvement overseas under Cohen? So specifically on those two, I'm really not a big Sugano guy. From I'm not going to lie to you and say I'm watching... Japanese baseball and Korean baseball, even though the KBO was all over ESPN. Um, from everything I read is Sagano's not like, he's not a Shohei Otani. He's not a Masahiro Tanaka. He's he's not uh, anyone like that. He's not a Daisuke Matsuzaka. No, he seems like a, a four or five the way. Yeah, he's like a back end type starter. So, I mean, you could give him a shot, but a guy that projects as a back end starter and hasn't pitched in America pretty often ends up less than that um so i'd be i wouldn't be crazy interested in him uh Ha-Sung kim is interesting so he's played some shortstop he's played some third base uh, he ops 930 i think this year hit 30 homers stole 21 bases he's not a big guy but he's got real thump in his bat serious bat speed uh so he's gonna get posted I believe tomorrow uh, by his team in Korea and I would not be opposed to the Mets at least giving it throwing a bit out there and see if they could win the rights Uh, he played third base so maybe that's an option for him here and there's I, I believe I saw a projected like possible contract for him of like five years and 40 million dollars and he's 25 years old so he's a young guy and some have ranked him as a top ten free agent in this class. So that's pretty. Sig- that's a pretty significant statement, right there. Yeah. No. Now so he's, is, he's interesting. Yeah, that's in, that is very interesting. Uh, did you expect him to be posted, Joe, or is this a yeah. surprise? Okay. No, it, it, it's been it's been rumored for about a month now that he's he wants to come over and. They were they were gonna make it happen. So that's a not, me- I know he had a yeah. mega year. Yeah, mega he a, year. He, he's, like and he's been tool. he's been consistently very good. So uh, Hassan Kim is someone to watch if let's just say they don't want to pay the price for a Francisco Lindor or a Nolan Arenado, and they go, look, let's not go ahead and give these guys all this money. And in theory, they could look ahead to the shortstop class of next year and say, all right, well. Maybe won't get Lindor, but maybe he'll be a free agent next year. And but if he's not, Carlos Correa might be, or Corey Seager might be, or um, Trevor Story might be. So it's it's a big time potential shortstop class next year. And 
maybe they just want to give Andres Jimenez a shot and say, let's spend our money. Let's sign George Springer and Trevor Bauer. We need a center fielder and we need a pitcher. Or let's sign George Springer and JT Real Muto. We need a, sh- a center fielder and we need a catcher. So it could change the whole dynamic. And if you're talking five years, $40 million, you're absorbing some risk that Korea to MLB trans- transition hasn't always been smooth. Uh, so you're taking some risk for sure. But overall... I do believe the Mets have basically been absent overseas, basically since like Kaz Matsui. <laughs> and I think that needs to be an emphasis. Uh, there's a lot of talent that comes from Asia every year. And not everyone is a Shohei Otani, um, like a Yoshi Sutsugo. He, uh, he's been, he was useful for Tampa Bay this year. So the, even sometimes on the smaller level, but Ha Sung Kim is getting posted Supposedly the Blue Jays are one of the teams that are interested in him. And I would have no issue if the Mets decided to make a pursuit of him and say, this guy could be our third baseman and we'll roll with Andres Jimenez at short and use J.D. Davis as a trade chip or use Ahmed Rosario as a trade chip. And you could, at that point, maybe focus some of your trade chips to the pitching market. Do they want to pursue Blake Snell, who's available from Tampa Bay? Do they want to pursue you know someone at a lower level like a joe musgrove who might be available from pittsburgh or a sunny gray there's gonna be so many people available that i can't even keep up with it everyone's trying to get rid of money so if you think it it's possible that person's available yeah it definitely feels that way i do like the creative way for a player that can play multiple infield spots has speed showed that he has enough has more pop than you'd expect for his size uh, and it, it's an interesting name added to the pool, right? Like, if you're not looking to go five years, what are we thinking for LeMayhew? One, one ten, five years, one ten. Yeah, I'm, probably I'm something su- like that. Yeah, I'm thinking something like that. Like, if you don't want to go to that annual average and you're worried about the years, the term because of his age, but you still want to add to your infield pool, it's an interesting name. It's good to have options and. and you know, the market for him probably won't be robust, as we've seen. And the Blue Jays have been tied to every infielder, Joe. What is the – every time I read an article, like whether it's Lindor, whether it's LeMahieu, whether it's Kim, what, it's like Blue Jays, Blue Jays, Blue Jays. I, I mean, I know they're not a team that's, you know, necessarily afraid to spend and, and add talent. But it, it is interesting how when looking at who the Mets' competition is on this market, you know, you don't see a ton of buzz about the Yankees – You don't necessarily see a ton of buzz for position players from the Angels. It's been the Blue Jays a lot. Yeah. The Blue Jays, what's really interesting about the Blue Jays is they've built such an amazing young core. You know, obviously built around Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio. They have such a tremendous young core, and they're owned by a network in Canada. So, like, they have a whole bunch of money. And from everything that I'm hearing is the Blue Jays, might be almost as active as the Mets this offseason. So that's pretty crazy. Th- they're a team to watch. They're in on everything. And Bo Bichette's positional flexibility and Vladimir Guerrero potentially not being a third baseman going forward might end up over at first, even though he's supposedly lost 40 pounds this offseason. So he's working really hard. He could use that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, you know, they're looking at options and. You know, if they can trade, they can swing a trade for Francisco Lindor and throw Bo Bichette at third. They can, or they can sign a Ha Sung Kim and they can 
play him at third or play Bichette at third, play him at short, there's flexibility there. They could pursue a Nolan Arenado. So they have money to spend. I don't know if they'll necessarily get two stars. I'm, I'm not so sure. But the Blue Jays are going to be in on most of the players that the Mets are in on. So you might get some Canadian competition. My new, my new hated rival, the Blue Jays. Who would have thought? <laughs> no, honestly, that's that's fine. Whatever, uh, you know, they'll they'll compete a little bit more against the Yankees and the Rays, and that's good for them. So it'll be interesting how the infield signings shake out because there are there is more talent there. It seems like uh, than we've talked about. The next one, speaking of infield talent, or no more from Steve Miller. If the Mets simply release Cano, does his twenty four million dollars count towards the luxury tax in two thousand twenty two and two thousand twenty three? My understanding is yes. I asked someone and was, and was told yes. Uh, I kind of want to keep asking because I, I, it doesn't sound right, but my understanding is yes, it does count. And A I was, second-time offender? Yeah. So the number of offenses, don't one and two are the same thing. Dumb. Um, I, I believe you know, the Mets will certainly see if there's any chance to go after it legally. Uh, don't expect that to go anywhere, but I expect them to at least try. Um, the third time is obviously what matters because that's when you get a lifetime ban. There's an argument out there that it should be two strikes and you're out. And it's, you know, not three just to play along with, you know, the whole baseball thing, three strikes and you're out. But you get <laughs> caught once, you know, you get suspended, you get caught a second time, you're gone. That's what I would do. Um, but as of now, that's not the rule. And I don't know if they're going to have any legal standing to, you know, void the contract, but I assume they will try. And releasing him, to my understanding as of now, is you would not get any luxury tax relief in those two years. You would just basically pay Cano a bunch of money and he'd go away. Yeah, it, I think, and it's interesting with the luxury tax because if that didn't exist, which that's a dumb rule, by the way, that because the team gets punished for a player's selfish decisions. Um, you know, I think Cohen would just release him and they they pay him, but they don't care. They're like, what they do, you don't want to be paying $48 million for nothing, but they'd be like, hey, this is kind of like when we inherited debt from buying the team. We're inheriting debt from Brody Van Wagnon being an idiot that you essentially just are paying the $48 million, but it doesn't affect how much you can go spend on the open market with hit, without hitting the luxury tax. So, that's a very flawed system in baseball that absolutely needs to be fixed. I, I am flawed. I am um, stunned that he still – that the contract doesn't void, by the way. That is just unbelievable. But I, I agree with Joe that it doesn't seem like there's a lot they can necessarily do in this instance with Cano. And, I mean, God, when you sell the team and do a valuation, they should have just – they should have counted his contract as debt <laughs> to the team. So – and just and, drop and they, another forty-eight million off of it. Yeah, I, and Steve Cohen knew what he was getting into when he bought the team, so he's not sitting there crying about it. It was cool to see him come out on Twitter and say, "Hey, this is this is going to buy more players." That's how this has impacted us. So uh, it's refreshing. All right, the last question of the show today from Johnny Caps. As Sandy said, it's all about bringing executive talent to the Mets. Why wouldn't they aim to bring in a president of baseball operations next offseason and only a GM now? Saying they want the GM to graduate means we would have a president of baseball operations who has never done it before. It's an All interesting right. point. It is an interesting point, but I'm going to put it this way, and I think we are, myself included, 
we're overthinking this title thing. The title. Yeah, I've I've wrapped myself into a yeah. pretzel over it multiple the, times. The, the title thing is, you know, obviously a little pump up to the guy and or girl certainly, and helps you get more money. But the reality is, if you do, and by the way, I started the research, haven't finished it, intended to finish it before the pod, and didn't. But so far, I've gotten through half the teams in the league, and. There's only five of those teams that even have a president of baseball operations. So president of baseball operations and GM structure is not something that's super common, to be totally honest. The idea is you do that tiered system so you get two premium executives and you're able to pay them more and so on and so forth. But in the scheme of things, president of baseball operations and GM is the same exact thing as GM and assistant GM. The only difference is you, pro- you have a nicer plaque um, outside your door. Maybe your office is a little bigger. Uh, your pay- on that. Yeah, your paycheck's a little bigger. And, you know, that stuff matters. But in the scheme of overall decision-making, um, it's, it's not really a huge deal. So to me, I'm perfectly fine with just hiring a GM, giving him the, the autonomy to make baseball decisions. And in a year or two, if he warrants that upgrade to – president of baseball operations where he gets more money that bigger office whatever like that's fine and then you could bring in someone underneath him i'm not in the boat of i don't want to hire a gm right now that basically i'm like all right you're an interim gm just like sandy's kind of an interim president just so we have somebody in place and then next offseason we're gonna go hire someone over this guy I want this GM hire to be the guy that the Mets are planning to build around as the top executive for the team going forward. I think if you do anything short of that, you're doing yourself, the fans, the organization a disservice. So I think that needs to be the path they're going. And I'm not so worried about a first-time president of baseball operations or whatever, because you're not going to get someone's president of baseball operations that's or at least it's very unlikely because the teams are not going to allow you to interview for a lateral position. So I struggle to think like, even if Chris Antonetti is man on the job next year, like I don't know if Cleveland would even allow him to leave because it's a lateral jump. So to me, I think the whole title thing, it's a little blown out of proportion. Um, I understand, like you said, these guys might care about that bigger office and a nicer plaque and, they certainly care about the bigger paycheck, but from a decision-making standpoint, I think it's a little overblown, and I want them to hire a GM now that, like Sandy said, someone that, that can grow into president of baseball operations. So say they hire an Amil Sade or a Jeff Kingston or any of these guys that I listed, you make that guy GM, he learns from Sandy Alderson, and you know, in a year or two, maybe he elevates to president of baseball operations because hopefully the Mets are having a ton of success and, you know, they're drafting better and they're, you know, developing players better and the major league team's having success. So you give this guy that promotion, which makes him kind of unpoachable from other teams. And then you find the next guy that's, you know, maybe three years down the road is, you know, just waiting to become a GM or, you know, move up in in the system and he could come and be the number two here and you know you add you know more quality executives but you just do it kind of over a couple year period but i would really hate 
if the idea was we're going to hire a guy with the intention of next year hiring someone over him. I don't think that's the way the Mets should go at all. No, I'm with you. It doesn't make sense. It, it would be hard to sell the job. It creates a very disruptive workplace in terms of personnel and, and sports in general. Um, it, and it's it's not an easy thing to pull off in the first place, right? Like finding opinionated but also level-headed, uh, ego-aside people that have made it this far in the baseball world. It's not that easy. It's not easy to do in any sport. There's a reason their names are on these lists like Joe and I put together, you know, like Joe and I went through at the top of the show and Joe can rip off 90 different things about those guys. It's because they have made it to a, a very prestigious place in the game where they're considered for elite jobs. But getting them to work together is not an easy thing to do. So it will be interesting to see how they handle it. I think that the Mets advantage and why Steve Cohen, and it's something I, I reported on this show a long time ago, Steve Cohen knew going into this that Sandy Alderson was his guy because Steve Cohen was around for when Sandy was doing a lot of good things with the Mets and has a good relationship with Sandy where he understands Sandy has a finger on the pulse of the baseball world and finding the right people, finding the people that should be put on a path to be elevated to run baseball operations and finding the right people that can work together for success Steve Cohen knows he couldn't do that coming into baseball. Not a lot of people could that just are entering a sports league for the first time. And it's why so many NFL owners fail because they think they can do it. So hats off to Steve Cohen. I think he made the right decision starting this whole thing off with Sandy. And now it's on Sandy to get it right. And when the Mets make this initial hire this offseason and eventually another one next offseason, will be will we be jumping for joy? Not necessarily. We might be skeptical at first. We might just have a lot of questions. We might just be curious to see how they do. But I think it's good that at least the Mets seem to have a process in place that is respectable and that is up to date with the best organizations in the major leagues right now. Yeah, that that's where that's really where they need to be headed is setting up an organization that's going to be among the best. And I think that starts with this GM hire. And this GM hire is massive for the future of this team because they're going to hire a person that's not only hopefully going to be the future top executive for this team for years and years to come, but they're going to set up the player development system. They're going to set up this scouting department. They're going to set up an analytics department. They're going to set up these things that is what as Steve Cohen said, going to turn them into a sustained winner. And that's why this this hire is so imperative that they get it right. Sandy Allerson's a great, you know, a great executive, Hall of Fame executive. Having him around is not a bad thing by any means, obviously. And But he's not going to be here long. He basically said, you know, I committed to two years. That's what he said. So he committed to two years. Guys, might, old and tired. Yeah, let him go. Might, let him leave in peace. Yeah, might he? Might you squeeze a third out of him? Maybe, but you know, Santi's not going to be here for very long, so you can't rest on him. So they need to hire the right guy to lead the Mets going forward, and Sandy needs to really be kind of a mentor to this person and say, "I'm taking you under my wing. I'm going to show you the way to do things," and that that's the path they need to go. So this GM hire and. Sandy said he's hoping it gets wrapped up, you know, sometime early December. So unfortunately, you know, the Mets are not going to have a GM 
hopefully it's by the winter meetings. And, you know, that's, it's a little concerning, but Sandy's able to handle things and he, and he's going to have a bigger seat at the table. So if a situation arose where they need to make a decision tomorrow on George Springer, Sandy Alderson is able to make that decision. So they're, they're not going to lose out on anyone by this, but my concern is that you're building an infrastructure here and that takes time. It's not like they're going to hire Billy Owens tomorrow and then, you know, on Saturday, he's going to have his player development system set up. He's going to have his analytics department set up. He's going to have all of his assistants and lieutenants set up. Like that's, it, it takes time to do those things. So it's unfortunate that we're going to be waiting until December to really get that ball rolling. But yeah, that I, I'm ready to go. They need to get going and figure out who your finalists are, get them in from Steve Cohen and let's get rolling. Cause you, you have an organization to build. It's not all about the free agency of 2020 slash 2021. That's a blip on the radar in the scheme of things for this whole, you know, Mets organization going forward. So they need to get going. And they, he said he's interviewed half a dozen people. I'm very interested to see how many of the six I said actually are on that list. Uh, it Maybe we'll find out after they hire a person because uh, they're certainly keeping so much close to the vest. But yeah, I think we're, think we're getting closer um you know hopefully it's really really soon um i'm ready to go yeah and i'll say i've enjoyed uh not having jeff wilpon leak out every little thing or every little (laughs) almost mets or every little this and that so no complaints here um like you said really excited to to get some actual mets news that is player acquisition that is hires that is all of those things and i will say this um you know, everyone have a very, very happy Thanksgiving. Really appreciate everyone, uh, how supportful they've been of this show early on. I mean, the show is in the very early stages of its existence, and it's cool to see people asking on Twitter, when's the next episode, or sending a million questions that, you know, we get to sift through and, and choose what to answer for the show, and feeling bad that we don't get to answer everything, and it's been really cool to see, and it kind of makes me wonder, like, wow, how are things going to be when the Mets actually are making headlines, when the Mets are winning baseball games, when the Mets are going to the playoffs, when the Mets are winning a World Series one day? Uh, so I am honestly very, very appreciative of that. Joe, closing thoughts from episode 16. Yeah, no, I echo that. Uh, I wish everyone a happy, safe, healthy Thanksgiving. Um, you know, there's there's so much to be thankful in my life, and you know, I assume the same for everyone here. So I hope you all very much enjoy that. And, you know, enjoy the break. You're not going to hear much Mets news over the next couple days, probably. So, you know, just enjoy the time with your, you know, family and loved ones. And, you know, we'll, we'll be back next week. So that's so Mets ain't stopping. So we'll be back next week. And, you know, I, I've seen reviews, very excited that everyone's doing it. And, you know, keep bringing on those five stars. I saw we had a three star in there and I don't know what gives. Oh no! This is a five-star podcast. I saw a little, a little, little line next to three stars. So I think we got three starred. So you know, leave us, leave. It's all right. Leave us five stars. um, Certainly, if you think we warrant it, and I, you know, we put a lot into this. So I, I hope that you all are enjoying it as much as as we're enjoying doing it. And you know, please keep writing reviews on Apple Podcasts. You know, we'll we'll read some of those off and. You know, very thankful for the support, like you said, and I I didn't know what to expect. 
um, as far as support goes. So I'm very thankful that there's so many people that are invested. You know, we get tweets from people saying, when is that so Mets dropping? You know, I need it. And, you know, that's very exciting and, you know, very thankful for everybody. So uh, keep tuning in and, you know, soon enough we'll be talking about real Mets moves. Episode 16 in the books. All right, everyone, we'll catch you next week. You can unlock more cash than you realize from your home's equity with a cash-out refinance today. In the last year, average home values have gone up nearly 20%. And with Rocket Mortgage, you can unlock thousands in less than three weeks. But you've got to act right now before rates go up. So when you're looking to unlock the cash in your home, Rocket can. Call 8338-ROCKET today or go to rocketmortgage.com to get started. Rocket. Rates current as a 12-12-21. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender license in all 50 states. And MLS consumer access. Not over 3030. Call 800-490-1233 for disclosures and cost information.